You're listening to the We Lead Well podcast, where well-being matters. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the We Lead Well podcast. I'm Vicky Maguire. I'm an education and leadership coach and in this role I work with school leaders to support them to improve their own well-being and that of all their staff and I also run group coaching programs for women leaders and I've created the Women Lead Well Coaching Network to provide a supportive network for female school leaders. If you'd like to join the group coaching program I've got a couple of places left on the April cohort you can get in touch with me at vicky at weleadwell.co.uk and we can have a chat about whether it would be the right programme for you to be on. Well, spring has sprung, everyone. There are daffodils out near me. We've got blossom on the tree in our garden and we had a really sunny weekend. So it feels like we are finally emerging from winter. Having said that, the rain was back again today and it was quite cold. But this weekend is also looking like it's going to be beautiful. So I hope that you manage to get outside into the fresh air and do something in the sunshine and enjoy that. So it's wonderful that we are back getting towards the summer again. Uh, so today on the show, I've got an interview with Malavili Krishnasamy. And she is now a leadership coach. She does all sorts of things working with schools and school leaders to help them on their leadership journey. And we had a really interesting conversation. We talked about all sorts of things. One of the main things that we talked about is managing change in schools and how sometimes as leaders, we we don't want to change things sometimes or sometimes we want to change things too quickly and maybe we don't take enough time to think about that process of change management and actually supporting people through the change process so we talk about that we also talk about cpd we talk about how you can change the way that you deliver cpd in your school and malavila has got some ideas for that for how you can Put, put in place some CPD programs in your school. And we also talk about confidence. That's one of the things that a lot of women who do my group coaching programs or women who I coach, school leaders who I coach one-to-one, talk about being a challenge for them. So we talk about what confidence is and how you can develop more confidence. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy this interview this week with Malavele Krishnasamy. Here we go. Malavili Krishnasamy, welcome to the We Lead Well podcast. How are you doing Hello. today? I'm good. <laughs> I bet I'm you are because you're in Spain, aren't you? <laughs> yes, and the sun's shining. I mean, the oh. nice thing here is that it's winter, but I haven't worn a coat yet. And oh. um, even when it does get a bit chilly, the sun's still shining, so you don't feel that grey and the kind of Yeah, thing. here it's great. <laughs> it is a grey day today. It's a little bit bright. Yeah. I've been out walking the dog this morning, but uh, a little bit of sunshine really picks you up, doesn't it, when you get that. yeah. Yeah, sunshine and you can actually go out in the fresh air and enjoy it well that's it it's it's quite outdoorsy so we're out all the time you know nice. just yeah some days i walk about eight eight kilometers so um yeah it's nice that's really really <laughs> nice um so tell us all about you who you are and what you do for the listeners so that know. who am i okay uh where do you want me to start 1973 <laughs> <laughs> i was born no uh i'm from east london i um moved to west london when i became a teacher uh which wasn't until i was 28 actually um right. so it was a long road to get there um but I always wanted to teach since I was 16. I'd, I've even, I used to write a diary and even in my diary, I think it was like the 17th of June, 1990, when I was 17, um, I wrote, I think I want to be a teacher. 
<laughs> and by 18, I decided I wanted to be a history teacher because I that year I had this amazing history teacher. So, yeah, that's what I did. So for um, I was an NQT in, Han- in um, Southall in West London and then became head of history after that in a school in North London, London Academy, and then uh, became assistant principal in Hillingdon. And then I was assistant principal about four years with lots of different responsibilities like literacy and um, teaching and learning. And, you know, it was a school in a bit of trouble, but we managed to turn it around to outstanding in three years. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, nowadays that doesn't seem to mean much. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it, you know, I do remember us all in tears in the in the staff room, but that was because it was a school that nobody wanted to go to. So it was an incredibly proud moment. We became federated and then um, uh, became a multi-academy trust and I became responsible for CPD right across the trust, uh, which I loved, absolutely loved. But then we had a couple of kids and we decided we wanted a change of pace Um both of us were working because my uh, other half was a maths teacher and uh, we were both working silly hours to the point where Saturdays was just you know nothing happened we were like zombies on the sofa (laughs) while that little one played around us and then Sunday for a couple of hours we'll take him to the museum you know the railway museum or something and then we'd be back nose to the grindstone by Sunday afternoon we thought there's got to be a better way so we moved to Bournemouth um, after we had a second child there for five years where I set up my business decided I wanted to spend more time with the children Um, yeah and then a few months ago we moved to Spain because everything we do is online so (laughs) we could be anywhere so tell me about your business then what do you do in that um I am a, a leadership consultant, um, coach, and trainer. So I run, I create, a devise leadership and coaching courses. So I train school leaders in coaching skills and leadership skills. Brilliant. And yeah. is, there, is there lots of interest in that? Are you finding more schools? Because I, I feel like we're on the cusp of coaching becoming something that is... I, I like to say the norm in schools. I'm not sure if we're on the cusp of that, but it's growing, mm. isn't it? And I think schools are yeah. understanding the benefits of it. I think five years ago when I started, it was quite rare. Um, it was, I felt like I needed to convince people this is what you need, um, which I didn't like doing because <laughs> <laughs> I felt like selling. And I thought, no, that you know they people really do need this because I was doing it as a senior leader I used to introduce coaching culture into the schools I was in so um yeah so it felt like I was persuading people this is what you need whereas now people are coming to me saying oh you do this we need this can we talk yeah so it's yeah what do you think the power of coaching is in schools why do you think it's so (laughs) beneficial it's beneficial because um British schools are very hierarchical Mm. and I'm not saying that other schools around the world aren't but my experience of working in British schools is hierarchical um decisions are made top down there's a very um judgmental feel about Mm. schools monitoring book scrutiny even the language is very quite kind of like the Gestapo coming in and coming to check on you yeah. that you have to constantly prove you're doing a good job and I think it's got worse in the 20 years that I'd been a teacher yeah, by the end um but coaching is different and in the schools where I've introduced it it changes it from the idea of proving to improving it changes that idea of okay we're going to go in and check in and make sure they're you know doing what they're supposed to be doing to okay how can I help you develop further the whole language is different it's not about judging Um, it's about supporting and developing and collaborating and sharing and although we're teachers people 
some people aren't very good at giving feedback mm. yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> some people don't like to give their colleagues feedback and coaching gives you that um, structured professional dialogue that you can use when you are uh, talking about a lesson and rather than feedback we're just saying oh this was good that was wasn't so good oh you need to improve this it's more kind of okay how do you think that went what would you do differently and so you're supporting each other you're empowering each other to develop further and become the best possible teacher you can be when I've worked with um teachers using coaching as a way of improving teaching and learning I even think that it's not only the coachee the person who's being coached who takes something from it I found it very powerful for the coaches as well you know in the school that I would that I've been working in most recently they've got teaching learning champions and they're the people mm. who've been who have trained to do the coaching but they found it to be very powerful as well you know they're not the ones who are teaching and thinking about mm. the, the strategies that they're implementing they're the ones who are in, encouraging that sort of dialogue and that thought and the reflection but yeah. they found it so beneficial as well it's like it's a reciprocal thing yeah. isn't it and it's and it's something where everyone is talking about teaching and learning you know rather than it being done to you or being told you need to include this you need to add tap dancing to your lesson you need to add you know all <laughs> kinds of silly things like yeah. that it's kind of everybody's talking about oh what's the best way to do something what well, is you know just that that conversations about teaching and learning it's interesting because in my very first school I worked in there were no conversations like that mm. um and so when I went to my second school it was amazing it was fantastic and it might be because there was a level at my second school and it felt much more highbrow in that sense compared to my first school where everybody was talking about teaching and learning and it's something that the head teacher encouraged that we all talk about it, we all uh, develop ourselves. And that was before coaching was on the scene. So, um, and I think coaching does that. It encourages people to talk about teaching and learning and rather it being seen as, oh, that person's an assistant principal for teaching and learning. It's like, well, we're all leaders of teaching and learning. And so we're all going to talk about it. It's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Because teaching really is an intellectual profession we're, we're teaching young people to be intellectual to take an intellectual approach to something and often I find in some schools teachers are not working like intellectuals they 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 come in they deliver something they go home they come back the next day they're not engaging their own minds in in reflection and mm. questioning and reading and learning and finding out you know that there might be a better strategy to use to help the pupils yeah. to learn um so if you're in a school where you one of the things that I've read is in your blog is about sort of letting go and sustaining change and I mm. think in terms of if if schools are going to sort of move towards a more coaching approach they have to let go of old Mm. traditional ways because yeah. obviously you know I think the problem in the English education system is what you're talking about it's that it's the monitoring and it's the scrutiny and it's the high stakes accountability that yeah. I was listening to I think it was a Steve Bartlett uh, podcast actually he was talking to Ben Fogel um and Ben Fogel was talking about how he'd, or Steve Bartlett was talking about how they'd had a conversation with a head teacher about why they're pushing grades so much. You know, why mm. is it, why are the grades so important rather than sort of the people that you're developing? Mm. And it was saying, oh, that, well, the head teacher said, because if we get really good grades, we get a really good reputation in the local community. Ofsted come in, we get an outstanding grading then we get more children in then we get mm. more funding because we get four thousand pounds per pupil and the funding is is per pupil and obviously it's yeah like, so you've like you have to be prepared to take a risk don't you rather and and let go of some of the things that you've been doing that you think might have worked because because they haven't worked but we're very attached mm. 
we're very attached yeah. to those QA models, aren't we? And the lesson observations and the work scrutinies yeah. and all those things. I think just because you've always done it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. <laughs> I, ju- I just, I th- but then I, I'm of that personality. I've got that, so I don't know if you're into Myers-Briggs, but like I'm an ENFJ. Yeah. Yeah. And an ENFJ is the type of person that'll go, okay, you've done it that way before. How can we do it better? And I'm like, oh my God, that's so me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, ENF- yeah. ENFP. Ah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm yeah. So you're more creative than I am, but like um, yeah. Whereas there are a lot of people that go, well, we've always done it this way. What's wrong with yeah. that? It works. And we're like, okay, could it works, but it could work better. There's you know more. There's different ways of doing things. Um, more efficient ways of doing things. Things that can uh, lead to less workload as well and I think that's the key as well that as a as a senior leader it's important to think okay when I introduce this policy is this adding something to people's workload if so what am I taking away and also um you know is this reducing people's workload that's what we need to be thinking that whatever policy you're bringing in needs to reduce people's workload because people can't take any more yeah <laughs> it's they're just overloaded as it is it needs to yeah. it needs to improve teachers situation doesn't it i guess mm. it's about yeah. improving things for teachers yeah but being really mindful and always asking that question what will the impact be on the well-being of the staff yeah. if if we implement yeah. this and often it's not done maliciously is it like as a senior leader like you're saying I'm a very creative person so I've got lots of ideas and mm. I think oh this will work or that will work I could do this I could do that and I've often found that if I take the approach of oh I've got this really good idea let's do this mm. that sometimes if I'm too far along the road with it staff will rail against it and be like we can't we can't do that we've got too much to do already yeah. or yeah like please don't change things again because we've sort of gone through a, a, a long time of oh this is the next big thing we'll try this we'll do this and then oh it doesn't work let's try this let's do something else let's try this let's do something else and there's a there's a little bit of sort of fatigue isn't there with new initiative fatigue and yeah and I think it's it's really difficult when you identify something that you know will work to get your buy-in from staff because mm. like people don't like change do they and that, I think that's why you get that we've always that's the way we've always done it around here or you know this is the way we do things here because to change things is risky it is but also, I mean, I remember when I first started teaching and you had the, the moaning minis in the staff room that you weren't supposed to go near because <laughs> I'd stay away from them. They'll bring you down like dementors, sucking yeah, all the joy, yeah. you know, all the enthusiasm from you. Um, and I remember them saying, oh, it's that again. Oh, it's just another thing. And sort of saying, oh, it's back round again. All these things come back round. And do you know what they were right <laughs> all yeah. these things you know all the things are like oh this brand new thing you're like well that yeah I remember that from 20 years ago yeah. you know but they called it something slightly different and so people yeah you can understand the fatigue but also I remember um like there's um an edgy celeb let's say that uh amazing cpd wise years ago and um i remember meeting someone from their school and saying oh god it must be great working at that school with all the cpd and i was responsible for cpd at the time and you know i was learning a lot and they said yeah it's great but every week you know we've got something different every week something new and like when are we supposed to implement all this stuff is too much And, and that really made me think and it made me think that actually at each term, I'm going to have a key focus that's related to the school improvement plan, uh, related to most of the staff's um, um, improvement plans as well. In, I mean, their own professional development, it needs to be bespoke, all these things. So it just, that idea of a blanket CPD for everyone I think that's that is so old hat now and if people are still doing that that's a concern um and the idea of oh 
um, every week something new is going to be introduced. That's crazy. So it, need, it needs to be much more strategic than that. I think schools are places where it's very difficult to do your ongoing CPD because it's all squashed into a day. So we'll have an inset day. So we'll have a whole day. And actually, there are, of course, there are things you can do on those days. I think they're very good days for developing subject knowledge for departments to get together and talk about mm. the content of their curriculum and who, you know, share ideas. In English, I always think it would be great to sit down and have conversations about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and what's come mm. up, what have you noticed, which bits you really enjoy teaching, which bits are you struggling with? Oh, I can do that. I like this. Mm. But you get those discussions and all that, all that inset stuff happens in isolation and all the teaching things are happening then for the rest of the term. And then you come back and do another inset then. Sometimes I feel like no nobody implements or not very many people end up implementing the things that they've learned about on inset days because once you're back in the on once mm. you're back and you've jumped back on the hamster wheel there's no there's no time you're not sharing you're not looking at that you're yes. not thinking about and it. that but that's the problem with that that's a problem of the lack of strategic planning within CPD mm. because if it's just a one-off in September and they're never talked about again until January well that's that's not strategic at all of course people will forget about it I mean with mm. children we constantly tell them okay remember this and we we go back and forth and we you know I think they call it retrieval practice now something yeah fancy. there's the forgetting like, <laughs> there's, a, there's the curve of forgetting yeah. isn't there that you exactly. do something yeah it's, whereas you if you it, come gone. back to it in workshops or in SLT you're talking about it and then making sure SLTs who are uh, responsible for certain departments they talk about it in their line management meetings and then the heads of departments are talking about it in their uh, weekly meetings as well that ensure and make sure that they're sharing practice so that by January there's a focus that leads back to what they've been doing in the last term then it becomes a continuous focus for the year yeah I think one of the things that that schools or senior leadership teams find most difficult with the CPD thing and I think a lot of people know CPD is better if it's personalized for, mm. for me so if I were wanting to improve my teaching um, I would be thinking about how I can, maybe for example how I can really push the most able in my class because when I've looked I've thought the most able are probably not doing as well as they could do so that's what I need mm. to do but there's tension there between what I need to do as an individual teacher and what a head teacher or a senior leadership team has identified as a whole school potentially mm. a whole school area for development which could be um questioning for example mm. Mm. And then there's a, well, I have to engage in that questioning work. I mean, I suppose it might work if I wanted to engage them more able, but do you see sometimes how? Yeah, this... but again, that's kind of, say, for example, at my last school, what I did was, okay, in September, in, let's say we introduced coaching um, to the whole school, but previously I'd already piloted it. So there were about, um, of a staff of 80, I had about 15 um trained coach no it's more than that by the end of July it was probably about 30 trained coaches um and so 30 out of 80 you've already got your advocates in there um and so in September what I may do is like a whole staff inset for a few hours on what coaching is and maybe a little bit of idea on how to you know what kind of questions you'd get and a bit of you know uh, people coaching each other and so on um but then after that the the rest of the day was like full of different workshops on based on their appraisals and where they needed to improve as a teacher which is also aligned to the school improvement plan which is also part of the teaching uh standards it, it should all link in um they can choose which um with their line manager which workshops they should go to so um if you're adept at questioning well 
maybe I'd get you to run that workshop or you could go to another workshop on um, the more able students. Do you see what I mean? So it's you're either sharing your expertise or developing your practice more. And I did it so that it was differentiated. So it may be a case if you've got basic questioning skills that uh, more early career people may go to, uh, but then you've got advanced more advanced so more established practitioners probably need to push it that little bit more um different techniques and that and they so there'd be different workshops for different levels of teachers i just want you to come right back to the start there because Mm. you talked about doing this on a small scale and what i think a lot of senior leaders do is they have an idea and they think right we're we're all going to do this and actually Mm. They want to do it because they want impact straight away and they want like often we want quick wins so let's launch this let's get everybody doing it and then it'll work well unfortunately in the real world it doesn't work like that does it so you went sort of you said going right back to the previous school year you tried this out with a smaller group of of Mm. staff so one of the things I think we I really love Cotter's eight steps for change Mm. model and I would highly recommend it to any senior leader or Mm. department lead who's thinking about implementing some sort of change project so how how do you go about that initial it's like slowing slowing down to speed up isn't it because you've got to you've got to plant the seeds first of all haven't you and then you know you've got to nurture it and yeah, you've got to a... cultivate the land. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the reason why I did pilot was so that um, I was in a school that was in special measures. It was, and it's interesting because a lot of people say, oh, yeah, coaching's great, but not in a school in special. Well, you know, I disagreed because the, the staff were quite fractious. The, um, um, there wasn't really a sense of community enough there. There wasn't enough collaboration. There were great, some of the greatest teachers I'd ever worked with, uh, incredible teachers, but um, it wasn't channeled in the right way. And so I thought, right, I'm going to get pilot. If I, as a senior, and there was very much them and us about senior leaders. And I thought, if I, as a senior leader, come in and say, right, we're doing this, and my old school would be great because they're like, all right, Mel, because they'd known me for like, eight years so anything I said they were like yeah whatever you say how, how often do you want me to do it you know because like <laughs> I built such great relationships with them uh this school was very different this school most special measures it was yeah it was hard going any new anything new that was put out by senior leaders was just bashed unions were brought in you know it was yeah, just yeah. horrific so I thought okay I'm gonna do it by stealth mode <laughs> so I did the opposite of okay instead of not talking to the moaning minis um I went and spoke to the moaning minis and I said oh I've been thinking of introducing this I've heard you're pretty good at this um and um would you like to be part of it and they're like what (laughs) because they're quite shocked that they'd be asked um and I also figured that if I got them in, because I truly believed in coaching, so um, if if I convinced them, then um, they'd convince everyone, you know, because yeah. the rest of the staff would be like, oh, crikey, even they're into it, because they moan about everything. Mm. <laughs> so that's what I did. I got um, at least one person from each faculty and also made sure it was a cross-section of staff, staff that were uber enthusiastic and also some of the old guard as well, um, and got them to pilot it. And I said, if you think it's rubbish, fine, I'll bin it. And they're like, yeah, right. And I was like, nope. That's absolutely. You give me feedback in six weeks' time. You come back and you tell me. Um, and I, I just want to marking. stop you there because I think yeah. that is like so brave, isn't it? Because <laughs> a lot, like when you when you launch in something and you think it's really good, mm. and then you get the feedback and people go, "We don't really like this." Mm. That can be really not. I don't like. It can be hard, can't it, to listen to people say actually this doesn't work and it's not very good 
because we think that our ideas are good and like if we've spent mm. a lot of time planning it and putting all that work in but this, this is part of that blog I wrote letting go yeah because uh, for example, when I introduced a new marking policy, because marking was terrible at that school, <laughs> and uh, when I introduced a new marking policy, I did exactly this, piloted it, and um, I remember one old guard sitting there going, well, I've always done it this way, and this can be really difficult, and I was like, just give it a go, if you don't like it, you know, just give me suggestions of how I can change it to to make it work in your faculty you know and um and six weeks later she was one of the advocates before we hear more from Malavili, i just want to tell you a little bit about our partner head teacher chat head teacher chat discusses lots of topics from how to support pupils with learning how to support parents and the many issues that come with leading a school the aim of head teacher chat is to support head teachers and school leaders who are in a challenging and often lonely role they do this by offering lots of information for schools to tap into. For example, they have lots of fantastic education companies on their database for leaders to discover, as well as leadership templates to download. They've written product reviews for leaders who are looking for products for their school. And this year, they've even launched the very first school leader planner, especially designed to help leaders to be productive and organised. If you'd like to hear more about Head Teacher Chat, you can find them on their website at www headteacherchat.com headteacherchat it's what head teachers are talking about now let's get back to the interview she was like this is great um the only thing is could we add this and i'm like great and the other thing i did was because when it comes to something like marking pe um technology areas like that they're always kind of like have to go along with everybody else and um it becomes meaningless mm. and I said how I want you guys to get together because I don't know how they work I, I'm not going to tell them what to do um, and I said I want you guys to get together all the vocational subjects and talk about how this system could work in your area how could you adapt it to make it work and they did and it was great because when Ofsted did come in, not that it's all about Ofsted, but it made it consistent across the whole school because then everyone was using the same system but adapted for vocational areas. So when I did make it whole school in September, it was ready to go because it'd been adapted and changed and slightly tweaked and all kinds of things. I'd gotten the feedback from all my piloters, if that's a word, and um yeah it was ready to go so when I did introduce it I didn't need to say anything because I said okay this is going to be introduced to whole school um Katie can you tell everyone your experience and everyone's like woo and it's interesting <laughs> because it helps you to iron out the creases doesn't it if you do mm. if you do a, a trial run if you get people involved and I think it's important as well yes to get the people who might be the ones who say, oh, not again, and might be the ones who are the detractors. It's also good to get some people in who are really engaged in everything as well. You want you yeah, want a mix you need, of people, don't you, need, you? You want those people who just will embrace everything and will do it yeah. to, the, to the best of yeah. their ability and have a bit of a combination of people. But what you can do then is you can you can see where the kinks are in it, can't you? You can see the bits that that didn't work or don't yeah. work and because you've only done it on a small scale as well it's not so embarrassing if you have to go let's bin it and start again let's let's rewrite it yeah. but yeah. what what you get I think the reason you get buy-in is because you're asking the staff the questions you're saying I've got this idea and I think it might work mm. but I need your input so tell me how it how it might be for you and what your thoughts are on it so that yeah. they feel like they've got some a stake in it so yeah they're, yeah they're involved in it on a on a small scale and that's it you should have seen it when uh when I did introduce it whole school in that meeting the people that stood up to say something was brilliant and one of the guys I got him to do a video and he went round um to children that had used this system to a uh, whole range of different teachers as well. And we had a 20-minute video, <laughs> ended up in a 20-minute video, where everybody, all the different children and 
uh, teachers all talked about the impact on the marking and how easy it was and how it's uh, actually less work and the children understand it and the parents understand it and all that kind of thing. So I didn't need to convince anyone. Because at the end of the day, it's like it's like selling something, isn't it? So if a big company is designing a new product, they don't go, we've got this great new product, let's put it wholesale on the market and get it on the shelves in the supermarket. They try it out first. They mm. do some trials. They have focus groups. They get yeah. people's viewpoints. They come back, they say, well, they didn't really like the smell of that or it was a bit too strong, whatever. Let's work on that. Let's tweak it. Let's change it. They do that with I, films even, don't yeah, they? Every, it, like oh, let's change the ending. They didn't like that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So they put it out to to be tested first, don't they? Mm. Like you said, piloters. It's probably a better word than I. You probably use the word guinea pigs, but maybe yeah. I should maybe I should avoid that in future. But I think what you say about letting go is as a leader as well. Like when you're going through that initial process of does this work? What do you think? Give me views. You've got to be prepared to listen to people. It can't just be a, I'll do this just so people will go, oh, it's already tried. Yeah. And then you can launch it. You're not doing, you have to let go of that element of control of it, don't you? That if people are telling you things, you've got to listen. Yeah. I think people can get, I mean, I, when I was first a senior leader, I was quite precious mm. about something. I'd keep it very close and then introduce it. And I suppose the school I was in, people allowed me to do that because they liked me and that was just, you know. Um, but I knew in this in this school, in special measures, that would never work. Mm. And I needed a new way of leading, really, a new way of change management because there wasn't yes people in this school. There wasn't people that were like oh yeah sure Mel whatever mm. <laughs> there was kind of people going what's that for why are we doing that then you know why don't I've always done it this way you know there was more there was more challenge yeah and it was fair enough, enough though I think that's, that's fair enough that's a really good it's good to have that challenge it's mm. good to have those people pushing back against you because it, it makes you reflect a exactly it's about yeah. understanding because I think like a lot of people they've it's a it's their baby if they've done something they've worked on a project and Mm. it's my baby and I've created it and you obviously you love it and you think it's going to work well and it can be hard when someone says to you well actually that doesn't work Mm. that can be quite difficult sometimes to hear that feedback and to listen to it and to respond but what I think is in terms of like you talked about in that special measures environment you have to build relationships and you've got Mm -hmm. to work on building those relationships and one element of building relationships is being able to listen to people and when you do that little bit of a try it out you've got to show those people that you are listening Mm -hmm. and that you're prepared to respond to that and do something about it and then then that that creates that trust that actually you know she does listen to you you know Vicky does listen to what you've had to say she listened and we we changed it and we've tweaked it Mm. but uh, but it's getting over that initial your instinctive oh this is a personal insult it's getting rid of your own ego yes it's It's about you know for many leaders it is I mean like it's for anybody it's natural I mean I'm not very good at taking feedback um but as a leader I knew I had to I knew I had to ask for feedback because if I didn't, this will be my baby. And then it's only what's in my head. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what about the PE department? What about uh, science? What about that? Does it work for them? I'm not going to know all of that. I know what works for humanities and that's it. Um, So I I need to speak to these other people. I need to get their views for this to be something that's going to be sustainable. Otherwise, it's just, you know, we've all been there where people turn up, um, uh, a senior leader turns up and it's a staff meeting and says, oh, I'm doing my MA, so we're going to introduce this and this is part of my project. As soon as they've got their MA, they, you never hear of it again. And you're like, what a waste of time. You made us do all this work and now it's just gone out the window. And I decided I didn't want that. I wanted something that after I leave will still be there. it's about sustaining the change isn't it yeah when I I talk about sort of slowing down to speed up and that sounds counterintuitive but when you slow down and you put the groundwork in place and you do your trials and you figure out where the you know 
where the issues are and you solve the problems before you do that whole launch by slowing down like that you speed up because you get more buy-in and more people are doing it and then eventually it has more of an it has more of an impact later on doesn't it yeah and it's also it's a bit like throwing pebbles in a river you know rather than just one pebble if you chuck in a few then you're going to have ripples right across the river aren't you and that and that's what it is if you're piloting it instead of just one major advocate and possibly a couple of others you've got advocates all across the school kind of like sentinels I feel like right yeah. across the school that are advocating for you the other thing that I think is really important I've got two I've got two things in my mind here one is the EEF uh, document that's about active ingredients and loose and tight because doing that initial work can help you to identify your non-negotiables with this like mm. unless we do like these two key things this isn't going to work. So you identify like everybody really has to do these two key things. And they're, they're the things that we've got to be really tight about and have to be our non-negotiables. And then Mm. some of the other things can be looser and can allow for a bit more of a personal interpretation of it by individual teachers. And I think that's really important then because Mm. you have things that are non-negotiable, but you're not saying to staff, you have to do it in exactly this way because then you're not empowering staff anyway yeah Yeah. I think it's unrealistic I mean there are schools where they even have things like certain powerpoints you have to use a specific type of powerpoint a specific font um my husband's one of his previous schools they even had their own school font I don't know how much they paid for that but (laughs) kind of a state school as well so just to me that sounds crazy fair enough if through evidence and through you know maybe the dyslexia society have said you must this font is ideal if you have dyslexic children in your class or possibly possibly have you know but that kind of prescription I find that really it would it would kill teaching for me you know I, I mean part of teaching is creativity that different way we do things different yeah. way it's that having we... ownership it's owning your own but also like we are it's... professionals aren't we yeah. we should be allowed to make some of those professional decisions about how but things are going to work if it's for us all in our classes. prescribed by people who are in senior leadership uh, who were probably at the beginning of their teaching career um five years earlier so much has changed so much changes in teaching in that time and and the newbies that come in who are in their early career if they're just completely prescribed to they're not going to have ideas of their own and nothing's ever going to change in teaching there's always going to be better ways of doing things and if you don't give that um space for people to be creative and find different ways of doing things, then I don't think it, it's not healthy for the profession. Yeah. And that that's, I think that sort of the loose and tight thing for me is really powerful because it does allow you to get that sense of actually teachers are, are in control of this. I said there was mm. another thing, didn't I, that, that had brought up for me and it's totally gone out of my head. <laughs> I really, I really don't know what it was now because I just went straight into the loose and tight thing. Um, but I think I was thinking in terms of changing things. And then one of, I know what it is, when I spoke to um, one of the school leaders I was coaching yesterday, we were talking about how, how can she communicate like the message effectively to staff. So once you start doing this, the project and you decide right, we're going to roll it out across the school the pitfall is that you roll it out on that inset day like we were saying before in in mm. September and then you just expect that people are going to do it and and remember that they need to do it so we talked about all the different options that she had for communicating what she wanted to get what she wanted people to do in in RE lessons and to make sure that they were doing their RE lessons and what the expectations were and she felt like it was, it was going to be overkill if she 
emailed staff, had face-to-face conversations with them, referred to it in briefing every week, gave them, you know, a little handout that said, this is what you should be teaching in your lessons this week. But I think once you've done that initial, you've worked out what works, you've launched it, you've got to keep it at the forefront of people's minds. If you're going to embed it, it's got to be there all the time. You've got to keep coming back to it. That's where leaders get it wrong, isn't it? Where they just leave it until mm. the following term or something. And then, then they get annoyed that, why aren't people doing this? Yeah. Well, because nobody's mentioned it in months and life and you know, workload and all that. Whereas I suppose if you imagine the um, September inset is the big pebble that goes down, there's little ripples and it's starting to get smooth again you've got to drop another pebble in there you've got to keep dropping a few pebbles so that the ripples continue and you're always gonna and it's important to and this is where I think monitoring is important because leaders come up with good ideas um, or ideas come up with ideas I'm not going to say if they're good (laughs) not with lots of ideas lots of ideas not always some are good um yeah some are good but like um the important thing after that is the management of it Mm. so leaders need to manage the change and how you manage the change is by monitoring asking for feedback how it's going how often are you using this you know if you use I used to do I was like the queen of survey monkeys sending survey monkeys off to staff whereas anonymous and they could say actually I haven't used this at all Mm. and so I have to think okay why could that be and find out reasons why through the questionnaire and go okay that means I need to put in more CPD um, for a certain section of people who want a bit more support in this area you know there's always reasons why people haven't got around to doing it and that that's that's part of the monitoring isn't it that you you're doing it not to judge people or scrutinize their work or give them feedback on their work necessarily in that way that we've talked about like you're not doing this and you need to make sure you do it mm-hmm. that it's a it's an engaging in a dialogue with your yeah. staff about how is this going is it working for you and if it's not tell me and let's have a conversation about it yeah. so I mean people that's why coaching computers. works isn't it yeah this yeah people aren't computers it's, it's not a case of you input something okay the computer is going to continue doing this because you've put in the code it's you know with people it's like you have to see actually can they do it have they got enough support? Some people hit the ground running and just go, oh, we need to do this. Okay, we're going. Other people are like, oh, okay, I'm terrified. I don't know what to do. Um, it's like that Cotter's thing, isn't it? Some people mm. in denial don't like change. Um, but some people just need a bit of support. And quite often the backlash is because they're like, I've got so much on and I haven't got time to learn this. And how am I going to do this? I haven't got a clue how to go about this. So if you say, okay, there's this workshop where you can help, you know, you can go and ask questions or you can get some CPD to help you in this area and you're welcome to go along and have it available, then Mm. people will turn up. I also think that's, that's why risk, you can call it risk management or identifying the barriers Mm. to your change before you start doing it is also really important. And I don't think we're very good at doing this in schools. I think, I think industry do it really well in the private sector, probably. But in schools, I don't think, I think some schools are doing it really well. I've seen examples of schools where they're really good at risk management. But before you start that change project, it's about thinking, right, okay, what are the snags? What are the problems? What are the potential barriers I'm going to hit along the way? Yeah. And that might be staff are lacking in confidence, staff feel like they don't have the knowledge they're too mm. busy doing other things, whatever you, whatever you identify yeah. as the barriers, you can think, right, if that happens, this is what I'll do. And you put some contingencies mm. in place. Yeah. And I think sometimes That's, we don't plan yeah. well enough for the initiatives yeah. that we've got. And then we get disheartened, I think, when we mm. come across those barriers. I think as a new leader, I thought my enthusiasm... <laughs> yeah <laughs> for a project yeah. would carry it through and that, that was incredibly naive of me so I was completely distraught when I got backlash yeah and but the flip side of on, that as well I think yeah. is that some leaders think that because they're a leader that mm. will see it through like there are yeah yes yeah. 
And I think um, what you're talking about is project management 101, isn't it? Yeah. And that's something a long time ago, I went to a workshop and I do this in my change management workshop as well, where I get people to think about the key stakeholders And so you've got your teachers, you've got senior leaders and governors, parents and and, uh, students. And thinking about each area, what barriers might they face? And then I do it like a a mind map. And then with each stakeholder, for each barrier, what are you going to do about it? You know, how can you mitigate that? So it's kind of... When you've done that, you think about most things. And then if you get some of the moaning minis on board, then um, they'll they'll always mention something you haven't thought of. They're, they're <laughs> good the when barrier. You do, when you do a SWOT analysis, they're always <laughs> the ones that are good at looking at the weaknesses and the threats, yeah. aren't they? And, and you need those people, though. Yeah, it's really do. interesting because you can use the some of the negativity that you might get from members of staff to help you to figure out exactly mm. what the barriers are going to be because these are the people yeah. who are putting quite a lot of the barriers out there yeah. so if people don't know a SWOT analysis is looking at the strengths the weaknesses the opportunities and the threats I would highly mm. recommend it or a pestle um, analysis as well I think that's a, a really useful mm. tool to What's use pestle I? I can't I can't tell P is mm. political E is environment uh it's not right in my head at the minute but it's another good mm. one to think about the context in which you are trying oh, yeah. to apply kind of like in history we do um in history it was pies i think political international economic social look at all those you different can use factors that so it's yeah, simply it's about yeah. understanding the context mm. within you within which you are trying to implement the change and how that might impact on your ability to do it effectively yeah and it's the, yeah it's all that it's all that planning and preparation and groundwork that I think when you don't do that then it's that pl- plan fail to plan plan to fail isn't it there's yeah. an element yeah. of unless you get all those things in place first of all you're not going to be able to do it but coming back to mm. sort of the embedding and the sustaining I don't know what you think but I think like you can't communicate too much no I, I think you know not everybody reads an email mm. not everybody remembers what you've said to them in a one in a face-to-face conversation some people aren't listening in in briefing so like the more you can yeah. just keep that at the forefront of people's yeah. minds as you're doing it yeah the better really I think I agree but also with coming back to emails uh don't write an essay (laughs) I see these senior leaders uh there was one that I worked with and I'd get past two sentences and think oh my god I haven't got time for this you know so um I always made sure I had bullet points headings and it was very like you open up the email and you can see the whole email there, not longer than that. If you have to scroll down, it's too long. That's how, you know, because people don't have time for it and, and not too much information. Yeah, you don't have all time to hold go. that all in your head, do you either? But also, which used to wind me up, is <laughs> when you have leaders who don't have clear, um, what do you call it? topic at the top what the email yeah yeah, subject line because what I I'm I'm one of those that had still has about 50 different folders on the list (laughs) (laughs) I'll put certain emails in so if I need to know about something I'll just look in that folder but if people are sending me emails and I'm not sure what it is and I haven't had time to stick in a folder and then I'm desperately trying to look for information it's nightmare so it needs to be really clear okay this is about marking or this is about feedback you know make it clear or self-assessment or something make it really clear I also think when when you're doing some sort of change management project communication is really important it's a really important element of your project Mm. so thinking about all you you were talking about about all your stakeholders yeah and how you communicate to those stakeholders because it's going to be different based on different stakeholders governors for example you're not going to be emailing you you well, you might do, but you probably go to a governor's meeting or whatever it might be. But thinking about as well, when you're doing mm. that change management project, how you're going to communicate yeah. effectively. But I also it's think- also 
like a bit like with marking when I introduced a marking policy I was thinking okay with teachers it needs to be easy mm. you know so that it's a simple system that doesn't add to the workload uh, with the children it needs to be um, something visual that they can understand like that with parents the need to be able to understand it um, but with uh, senior leaders, obviously, they need to understand it, but they'll want to know the impact. So, you know, parents don't want to know the impact. They want to know what is it. Mm-hmm. So it's thinking about who needs to know what. And governors will want to know, well, what's the monitoring cycle? How are you going to know this is effective and this is going on and everybody's using it? What are you going to do? So it's all that kind of thing. Just mm-hmm. like you say, it's having a communication plan. And checking in with yourself as well, just to think... I'm sending an email now, is this the right thing to do? Or would it be better to communicate that differently? Could I could I say what I need to say in this email in a staff briefing instead? Or could I go and actually speak mm. to staff face-to-face? Who, yeah. do I, who do I need to send this email to? Who do I need to speak mm. to about this? Like yeah. it, communication is something that also needs thinking about and needs careful planning, isn't it? If you're going to implement that change project effectively. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's vital, isn't it? Yeah, it's really, it's really important. Yeah. So in terms of sustaining the change, mm. what would you recommend to senior leaders? I see, I think that, you know, when you when you do that change that we talked about where it's like everybody has to do this and this and this you can you can change things pretty quickly Mm. but that's not sustainable in the long term you can't keep doing things to people because Mm. eventually they get tired they're exhausted they can't they can't do that anymore they don't feel autonomous they don't feel empowered Mm. And it doesn't work long term, does it? You can turn mm. things around very quickly. But while, while you're doing that, you've got to think about the slow burn then that you're going to use what techniques you're going to use or strategies to make that sustainable. So how would you advise senior leaders to sort of sustain the change and embed it over time? Well, it is through monitoring. And I don't mean that in a kind of going in, uh, checking people are doing it, having a word of the not. I don't mean it like that, not the big brother approach to monitoring. It's more kind of through questionnaires, asking people how will the impact on workload, asking people, well, have you got any ideas how to tweak this, make this better? Um, I think giving people the opportunity to be part of that, you know, having a stake in it to make Mm. it a better system um it will give them a bit more ownership and feel like actually they are listening you know senior leadership are listening to our needs they want to make this a a good project so you know people will give their opinions on what they think actually this is working yes it is consistent blah blah blah. so Uh, you know like an example would be if you were doing a work scrutiny and the choice mm. of language there is probably not the best, but if you were looking mm. at the books to see how it was going, mm. I would recommend doing that as in a twilight session or in an inset so everybody gets a chance to have a look at the books. And it's not a look at these books and check up on people. It's a have a look at these books and have a discussion about what you're seeing, mm. you know, where are you see, seeing effective did it in practice a... and sharing. Yeah, I did it in... I did it like that, but I, what I also did was like uh, bookstores. Right. <laughs> so I did it kind of like a marketplace of people, again, a cross section of people, not the usual, da-da-da, these are the great, <laughs> the best yeah. teachers in the school, yeah. not like that, but people that I'd heard that were really good at marketing, I'd popped in, had a look and thought, yeah, that's great practice, that is. So not just about the specific thing that mm. I brought in, but also generally good marking and you know systems people had and got them to hold a stall and people would go around and have a look at you know the marking go okay that ha- and it'd be explained to them and they'd be like oh, okay that's something I could do that in my lessons so it was kind of like a, a stall you know mm. I used to go what did I call it a marking fair that was it oh, nice. I had literacy yeah a marking fair because I'd done a literacy fair in the past so um yeah I tried the marking fair because marking was a real problem in this school and um people just weren't doing it 
<laughs> and just doing any old thing. Um, so yeah, so this was this was quite you know people said it was successful because I got them to fill in things to say oh, it was what was good what what would make it better and so on and people said it was really useful and got nice feed out as well so it was <laughs> people yeah. like that as well but it was great because it was like a, a marking Christmas fair so there was so the the canteen went all out actually and uh, it was lovely it was a really nice atmosphere people chatting but talking about marking and having a looking at each other's books oh how do you use that oh that's really good and so on so and it's um, about I think it's yeah. about as a senior leadership team thinking about how you can engage staff in the monitoring processes that you're using mm. how can you involve them and give mm. them a stake in it and get them discussing things and talking about it so it's so it's low threat mm. so that so that yeah. staff don't feel like they're being judged because that's what Ofsted do Ofsted come in and and judge us that you know we don't need to have that sense of you know you're under scrutiny and you're being judged all the time I think there's um I think people some people's views of other people are just wrong Mm. (laughs) and I think I think how I see it is like if people aren't doing what they're supposed to do it's not always about laziness it's not always about whatever's going on it's you know in their personal life sometimes they're just not sure what to do and what I found in that school and special measures the people who uh, if I'd left late the two cars still in the car park were the teachers that were considered to be not doing very well at that school Mm. underperforming and the systems are put in place meant that when their books were looked at they were actually the best books in the school because the systems made it as easy as possible for them to mark and uh, for good feedback to be given to the children and it wasn't onerous and actually it made life easier for them so they weren't trying to mark every single page and doing all kinds of stuff it's not always about working more it's working smarter yeah I also think as a senior leader it's your responsibility when there are members of staff who are considered to be not performing at the expected level or whatever it is it's your it's your responsibility as a senior leader to figure out why that is Mm. to actually go and speak to the people or the person and say what's going on I'm I'm really you know and I've noticed this or I've noticed that you know talk to me tell tell me what's happening because often like you're saying we make judgments on people oh they're lazy they can't be bothered or whatever it Mm. might be but we've not really actually gone and spent the time to find out what's happening with that person. And, and there's also a pride a thing. Yeah, There's a pride thing as well that people don't want to say, actually, I don't know. There are yeah. some people that just don't want to say, I don't, I don't know what, what to do. Yeah. You know, cause you're supposed to be an adult. You're supposed to know, you know, you swear, everyone else seems to know what they're doing. Hang on. What did I miss that day? What happened? Mm. So when they're not doing it, if they then get a, a a horrid email saying oh, I've noticed you haven't done this and could you ensure from now on that you are doing this it's part of the teaching standards of blah 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 they're like god that, that's crushing isn't it that makes it even worse I feel like so, you've been told off yeah <laughs> yeah good, whereas it? if if you actually go and have a chat with them, hey you know how's it going um just wondering are you aware of this policy oh right okay did you want support with that what can I um, do how what can, can I, I do you? what do you yeah. need how can I help yeah. you yeah or have you thought about you know so and so down the corridor is really good at that do you want to go shall we go and have a look at their books you know yeah. and have a chat about it it's just, I just think that the more we actually talk less emails the better yeah. <laughs> really you know I, I always think face-to-face conversation mm-hmm. is yeah is much better much better it's been so great to talk to you i'm <laughs> mindful that we've been just talking for probably over an no hour no idea now. what time um, it is <laughs> yeah but it's been a really really interesting conversation i think we've we've talked a lot about like managing change and doing things in in small steps and mm. um there are there are lots of things i think that have come up that people can actually go oh I might go and see what what a SWOT analysis is and and try and do Mm. one today. So it's been really practical, lots of really good ideas for strategies that I think 
if a senior leader is considering a change project why you would be at this point in time I have no idea <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably <laughs> not going to be a, a particularly no. appropriate time but when yeah. they are at some point in the future when things maybe calm down a little bit I think they'll be taking away lots of practical ideas so thank you mm. very much if people want to find out more about you and the work that you do where can they find you they can find me at www.melcpd.com and on Twitter and actually we've got a leadership spaces um, chat coming up on Twitter spaces next Sunday night, Sunday the 6th, uh, where we're going to have people like Patrick Cotley O'Connor and a whole range of people, Scott Pusley and so on. Uh, we'll be chatting about middle leadership. Brilliant. So just, just remind us again, that's leadership. Leadership spaces. spaces. And where, yeah, where so do people find that? That's on Twitter, on Twitter right. spaces. Okay. Yeah brilliant twitter yeah. spaces something i need yeah. to find out more about i think it's been great to talk to you thanks yeah, very much too. enjoy the sunshine cheers <laughs> okay oh i really enjoyed that conversation we got through lots and lots of different topics and i'm sure that there's something there that you can take away um i I think there are some great ideas and there are some things possibly that I wouldn't do the same as Malavili suggests. But you know what? If it's in your school and it works for you, then that's entirely up to you. Do whatever it is you feel like you need to do within your context. And that's all we've got time for this week. So once again, if you are interested, I've got a couple of places on my group coaching programme. So if you would like to join me, you can email me, vicky at weleadwell.co.uk and we can arrange a chat. We can see if coaching is something that would be beneficial to you. I can tell you all about the programme. I can tell you about the feedback that I've received about it in the past, which has been really, really great feedback. And I will speak to you next time. Hopefully we'll get a sunny weekend and you can enjoy it. Take care of yourself, take care of your staff and lead well. This episode of the We Lead Well podcast was brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchats.com and Teach Well Alliance.